We've been talking about the wisdom of God's Word as it relates to our finances. And I think that many times we often know the things that we ought to do or we have a vague understanding, but the truth just doesn't get through to us. It takes a little bit of the challenge for us to understand or apply what it is that God is saying to us. Thinking about that reminded me of a story that I heard about uh, Bordeaux. If you've ever heard some of the, the Cajun parables that are told, Bordeaux is this guy who always kind of stumbles into a life lesson because of his foolishness. And these stories are best told with a thick Cajun accent, like someone from like Swamp People, but I can't do that, so I'm just going to do my best to share the story with you. Story is told that Bordeaux puts the roof on a guy's house, and when it comes time for him to get paid, the man says, oh, Bordeaux, I'm going to pay you with a check. And Bordeaux says, what's that? Oh, I never heard of a check. What's a check? And he said, well, I write the amount of money on this piece of paper. You take the piece of paper to the bank, and they give you the money. He says, well, I like that piece of paper. Give me that piece of paper. So Bordeaux takes the check to the bank, and they say, that's fine, Bordeaux. We will cash the check. We'll give you the cash, but first you must endorse it. He says, what does that mean? He said, well, you have to sign the back of it. He said, nobody told me I had to sign my name to this piece of paper. I don't want to do that. I'm going to find me another bank. And he leaves the bank. He goes down a little bit closer to his house where there's another bank. He walks in and he says, hey, I need to get this check cashed. He says, okay, that's fine, but you've got to endorse it. He says, I know what that means. I don't want to do it. The banker knew Bordeaux and he knew how to get his attention. So he smacked Bordeaux upside the head. He said, if you want your money, just go ahead and sign the check. He said, all right, I'll do it then. He signed the check, he got his cash, and on his way back out, he went across over to the other bank, and he said to that first banker, he said, look, I got my money. And the first banker said, but you had to sign for it, didn't you? And Bordeaux said, yeah. The banker said, I told you, you'd have to sign the check if you want to get your money. He goes, yeah, but you didn't explain it like that other guy. <laughs> and I don't want to smack you upside the head today. But I want to try to explain it in a way and for us to get a hold of the truth of the matter when it comes to our finances. The truth of the matter is that the most dangerous of financial instruments is debt. And we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble when we get ourselves into debt. Few things are as confusing and dangerous to most people when it comes to money as a loan is. And oftentimes loans are confusing for the benefit of the lender of the person who's making the loan. They want the loan to be confusing so that you don't understand the terms that are taking advantage of you. In Proverbs 22 and verse 7, it says, the rich rule over the poor. Proverbs decries that there are people that use their wealth to take advantage of others because it happens all of the time. Financial instruments are, are, are packages of assets or loans or debts that are sold and there are people that they buy and sell our loans as collateral for profit. Some of you have gotten a loan with your bank for your house, and then you get a letter in the mail that almost just as soon as you got it, it was sold to somebody else. And then your loan was bundled up with other loans and then sold to someone else. And a bank is using your loan or the money that you owe them as collateral for something else that they want to do. And there are people who have a whole lot more money than the rest of us that are using those financial instruments of our debt and the money that we have promised to pay back to earn incredible interest, to use as collateral. This is actually what got us into the great crisis of 2008. 
people were buying up these loans and passing them off. And because there was this great need for these loans that were sold, people who were making the loans lowered their standards on who they would give a loan to. By, by the way, just because someone will loan you money doesn't mean that you should get a loan. Okay? If you get approved for a loan, that doesn't mean that it's a good idea for you to get that loan. Don't allow a loan officer or a credit card company to tell you what is a reasonable or responsible amount of debt for you to have. Because they will leverage you until your breaking point. So they made loans that nobody had business making, and then they sold those, bundled up and sold them off to somebody else. Of course, they weren't worried about making that loan. They weren't even going to have to collect on it. They were selling it to someone else. They made money off of those loans, even if you never made a payment, because those financial instruments were sold. There's a, there's a whole level of complexity that most of us don't realize on the grand scale, but there's also a level of complexity that most people don't realize on the individual scale. For example, my wife and I, we just bought a used minivan. It was a major moment in my life. I went from being a guy with a car to a dad with a minivan. <laughs> and we looked for a year for a used minivan, partly because I was hesitating on making that transition in my life, but also because we wanted to find a van that we felt like was a reasonable price. We wanted to make sure that we were financially ready to make that purchase. When it came time that we felt like we were ready to make the purchase and we had looked at several vans, we had picked one, I lined up a loan with my credit union. Very pleased with the terms I was able to negotiate with them on that. And so when we went into the dealership, we said, yes, we've decided we'd like to buy this car. This is the price that we'd like to buy it for. They agreed. And I said, and we have, and I waited until they had done that to say, and we have a loan through our credit union. Now, you would have thought that I had just told that guy that his team had lost the Super Bowl. He's like, oh, okay. You know why? Because many times they make more money on the loan than they make on the car. Many of them are just selling cars so that they can be in the financing business. And they did their thing where they disappear. The guy comes back and he says, hey, I got great news. Uh, this other bank here in town, they really want to, 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 to do more loans, and so they will give you $300 if you do your loan through them. And I said, well, what's the, what's the percentage rate on that loan? He says, well, the payment is only going to be X. I said, okay, what's the interest rate? Oh, well, let me look. Shuffles his papers. What he had done is he had brought me a loan through a different bank with a much higher percentage rate, and he'd actually extended the term of the loan so that he could say, well, the, the payment's only going to be this. It's going to be lower than yours. And the reason he was doing that is because after he said it, I said, okay, thanks, I appreciate it. Let me, let me take some time. Give us a moment. I, I love doing that, by the way. If they make us wait, I'd like to make them wait. Step out. <laughs> I got my phone, I opened up my calculator app, and I figured out pretty quickly, over the life of the loan, it was going to cost me an extra $1,130. He wasn't giving me 300 bucks, all right? He was making money off of me. We sat there and you know, just kind of talk for a little bit. We'd already made up our, our minds. And then after a while, and I said, I told him, we're going we're gonna to stick with our loan. I want you to recognize that these people, they will do whatever they need to do to try to get extra money out of you. They didn't go back in the office to figure out a way that they could give you $300. They went back in the office to figure out a way they could get $1,130 from you. This guy tried to talk to me for a length of time after he found out that I was a pastor and talked to me about you know, how, how you know, involved he was in his church and all that. And 
So you sure you don't want to go with Islam? Yeah, I'm sure. There are people who have money who want to use that money as loans and guarantees against people who don't have money to make more money. The scripture makes it clear that the rich will oppress the poor. We must be careful. Some of us, we, we find ourselves in loans and in debt that we don't we didn't really understand, and we feel quite trapped. And that's fitting because scripture equates debt with bondage. There in that same verse, the rich rule over the poor, the borrower is servant to the lender. If you find yourself in a loan where you feel trapped that you didn't completely understand before you signed on the dotted line, you can identify with this feeling. Bondage is this recurring theme in the scripture. The Israelite people were slaves in Egypt and God delivers them from their slavery and gives them their own land. It's called the promised land. They have their own land and God is their God and they are his people and they live in this land of plenty, but then they, they turn away from God. And after they've turned away from God, the Babylonians come and conquer their land and carry them away as captives again. And captivity and bondage is the recurring theme in Scripture because God is constantly trying to show us that when we stick with Him, we experience life and freedom. But evil will constantly try to put chains and shackles on us, to put us into bondage. Jesus comes to set us free from our bondage. He says when he arrives, I will give you the truth, or I give you the truth, and the truth will set you free. God's truth will set us free. And that not only applied to his truth, the message of the gospel and repentance, but also to the truth of God's word, the wisdom that's laid out in the book of Proverbs, applies to this passage as well. Paul would later write to believers who had experienced God's forgiveness in their life. They had trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. They had been freed from their habitual sinning. And then they found themselves returning back to that sin. And Paul said to them, why do you enslave yourselves again? Here's this theme of bondage coming back. He says, you've been freed. Why would you then turn around and put yourself back into bondage? Truth is that many of us, we have been freed from our spiritual sin. God has forgiven us, but we make decisions constantly that put us back into bondage. Some of you find yourself in financial bondage right now. Now, God doesn't outlaw debt. God doesn't say that all debt is evil, that you should never get a loan. In fact, God seems to make it pretty clear that he understands that debt can be a useful tool. I would not have been able to buy my house without debt. I would not have been able to buy that van without debt. Debt can be a useful financial tool, but we have to realize that it's a dangerous tool. It's a dangerous one. You shouldn't use it unless you know what you're doing. You shouldn't use it unless you have a plan. And if you've taken precautions, and you're going to work hard to get out from under it, don't get yourself trapped by this dangerous tool. God knew that debt would be a financial tool that would be dangerous, so he established in his word, in his law, that he gave to the Israelite people this principle of always giving them a freedom from their debt. The Old Testament law talks to us about the year of Jubilee. And when the Israelites were set up in this land, that God gave them the land, they all had this land. If they used that land for a surety or a guarantee on a loan, every seven years, 
those loans would be wrapped up. Now, some people disagree here that maybe at the end of seven years, the loans were just forgiven. Forget about it. Other people think that maybe the use of the land to produce crops was kind of used as a lease and that nobody could guarantee a loan beyond that. But however it worked out practically, at the end of every seven-year cycle, the people were to be given back the land that they had, freedom to use it, etc., so that nobody could find themselves completely without anything and in total bondage to their debt. Now, our culture today doesn't have any safeguards like that. Our culture today will allow you to plunge yourself so deep into debt that the only way for you to get out of it is to declare, I can't pay to anybody. Now, God's Word does not encourage that. God's Word tells us that a good name is rather to be chosen than silver or gold. We should always pay and make, we should always make good on the commitments that we make. God's Word had this way for them to free themselves from debt. You and I, we don't have that. So we must be careful. And if debt is a dangerous financial tool, I encourage you, don't ever enter into it lightly. Don't ever enter into it lightly. And I know that some people entered into debt very lightly because every time I buy anything at a store, they offer me their, their credit card. Why did they do that? Because there are people that at that counter, in that moment, enter into debt. It's not a, a financial decision that they've thought about or they considered. Remember, we talked about time is money. And when we spend time, we'll save money. If we spend time considering the choices that we're making, we will save ourselves money. Don't enter into debt lightly. Recognize that it's a tool that can be used, but it is a dangerous tool. And then let me encourage you, don't ever trade your liberty for luxury. The idea of losing liberty for a loan would have seemed more clear in this era because in this era, if somebody did sell everything that they had and had absolutely no way of paying, it was common in that time frame, in that era, for people to be sold into slavery so that from their bodies or from their manual labor, there could be some money that was taken. And the idea of connecting debt to bondage would have been very clear to them because you could be sold into slavery because of your debts. God didn't want that for his people. That's the reason he established the year of Jubilee. Some of you, you're not going to be sold into slavery because of the debts that you have, but you physically and psychologically feel like a slave. You feel like you are stuck, absolutely stuck. And this makes your life a drudgery because you take the extra hours of overtime that are offered, not so that you have extra money to save or extra money to spend on something, but because you have to, to make payments this Friday or this week. And I want you to see that when you have that that need, that desperation in your life, that it makes a difference in the way that you live. There's a difference between being forced to march and going on a hike, isn't there? Right? When you choose to go for a hike on the Appalachian Trail, and some people do that, and it's, it's, it's difficult and it's challenging, but they enjoy it. But put somebody behind you with a gun, forcing you, that's not fun at all. You're only doing it because you have to completely different experience. I've heard people joke like, man, the only way that I would ever run is if somebody was behind me with a gun or a bomb or whatever, you know, somebody has to be chasing me. That might work for a little bit, but it doesn't work long term. Because as tired as you might get running 
for pleasure, you will get tired much more quickly if you're running out of panic. Your adrenaline may carry you pretty far, but physiologically and psychologically, there is this change that happens. Researcher Monica Fleschner of the University of Colorado conducted an experiment with lab rats where there were two groups. One group had an exercise wheel and they could get on it and run on it as much as they wanted, whenever they wanted. There was another group that the lab rats were forced onto the exercise wheel and could not get off until they had performed, they'd run for so long. And even though the rats that were forced onto the exercise wheel ended up running more, they were less healthy and they were more likely to get sickly because they had been forced to exercise and not chosen to exercise. And if we're not careful, when we choose to give up our liberty for luxury, it becomes this thing that we have to do. And if you give up your liberty for luxury, it will then become your drudgery, something that you have to do. And it'll not only make the thing that you bought that you couldn't afford less enjoyable, it'll make your job less enjoyable too. Because you're not going to your job to work, you're going to your job to make sure that you can make your payments. God was serious about this. That's the reason he established the year of Jubilee, that so nobody could put themselves in a financial hole too deep to get out of. For that reason, we've got another proverb at the end of this chapter that speaks directly to this topic. Look at verses 26 and 27 with me. Be not thou one of them that strikes hands, or of them that are sureties for debts. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? The word of wisdom here is, don't put your home up as collateral for something that you can't pay for. Because not only will you not be able to pay for this thing that you want, you will lose your bed also. Why would you lose your bed and whatever it is that you're trying to buy? You're going to lose them both. You're going to have nothing. And here's what Scripture is trying to tell us pretty plainly. Don't use what you can't afford to lose as collateral for what you can't afford to pay. Don't put the things up that you really need as collateral so that you can get the things that you want. You say, that's kind of obvious, Pastor Daniel. Is it, though? Because there are people that will loan you money for that boat when you are struggling to make rent. There are people that will give you credit cards to buy electronics when you're struggling to feed your family. And the reason that he's, he's making this, this, this proverb, he's giving us this instruction, he's saying, don't put your things up for collateral that you really need, like your bed and a place to live. Don't do that. That's, that's not wise. Now, nobody stands at the, the counter at Kohl's and says, sure, I'll put up my house for collateral for this new shirt. No, but nobody thinks that way. Okay? Nobody stands at Bass Pro Shops and says, you know, I really want this boat. I'm not sure that we'll be able to feed the kids in seven months in the winter when we'll even be able to use this boat. But nobody thinks that way. Okay? But that's what he's trying to make clear. Don't put things up for a surety that you can't afford to lose for things that you can't afford to pay for. If you can't afford to buy it, don't put the things that you desperately need up for a surety. Now, Scripture is not saying here that debt is wrong. And Scripture is not saying here that if you lose things because of debt, that you're bad. 
There are many people that lost everything because the financial markets crashed. <coughs> Suddenly their house wasn't worth half of what they paid for it. People lose things because they're laid off from their job that they had no reason to think they were going to be laid off from. Those awful things happen. What Scripture is speaking to here is don't put your financial stability at risk for things that you don't need and be incredibly careful of the debt that you get into. Now, the next verse, verse 28, is one that I've heard often in my life, and maybe you've heard it too. Verse 28 says, Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. Now, typically when I've heard that verse said, I've heard it in the context of the conservative Baptist churches that I grew up in, and a preacher would say, Remove not the ancient landmarks, and what they were saying is, Don't move the hymn books, and don't sing different songs. And don't remove the pastor's tie. And they're, they're preaching against change. Change in culture, change in church, change period. But that's not what this passage is talking about. I just read you verses 26 and 27, which are talking about giving up your bed as collateral. And then it says, remove not the ancient landmarks. God had blessed the people of Israel with land, given it to them. And he wanted it to constantly be the source of security and stability in their lives. He said, don't you remove those ancient landmarks. Don't you remove, remove those, those, those boundary lines of where your family has property. And I want you to flip over to the next chapter because he makes it really, really clear what he's talking about in the next chapter. Look over at uh, verses 10 and 11 of Proverbs 23. Remove not the, ancient, remove not the old landmark... And enter not into the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty, and he shall plead their cause with thee. Now, Scripture isn't talking about making changes. What Scripture is talking about is removing the land that was a family's source of financial stability and security, that they could lease out for a period of no more than seven years, and it would be given back to them. And he says, don't you remove those ancient landmarks. And he makes it very clear in the next chapter there, he says, don't you enter into the fields of the fatherless. He's saying, if there is a family, they have lost their father because of some tragedy, because of sickness, because of some accident, don't you enter into the fields that belong to those orphans rightly and take it from them. Don't you use their disadvantage, don't you use their catastrophe as an opportunity to take more money out of their hands. Don't put them into the bondage of debt for the rest of their lives. Don't make them live out the rest of their lives in poverty because their father was killed and you take their land. And he is speaking so strongly, he says, their redeemer is mighty and he will deal with thee. Now, now for us, that, that, may not, that may not jog in our memories. What does that mean? Here's what that means. In the old Israelite economy, if you lost your father or your husband, it was the responsibility of someone else in your family to step in as your redeemer, who would step in to make sure that your land was not taken, to make sure that you weren't taken advantage of, that widows and orphans were not taken advantage of. It was the responsibility of your cousin or your brother-in-law, the, the nearest male family member was to step in as your kinsman redeemer, someone from your kinsman to be the redeemer. And what he's saying here is, don't you go into the, the fields of the fatherless because their Redeemer is mighty. 
And what he's saying is, he says, you remember that they have a redeemer who is mighty. And he's not just talking about their, their uncle or their cousin. He's talking about the Lord. And he says, he will deal with you. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I get frustrated, so frustrated when I see uh, uh, these businesses that move into low-income neighborhoods that take advantage of the poor, that oppress them. A couple of years ago, I read this just, man, this just very moving and touching article on this church in Texas. They were in this low-income area. It was a very diverse neighborhood, and all of these payday loan places were coming in, places that would say, listen, we'll give you this amount of money if you promise to give us your paycheck when it comes in, and they're charging people 18%, 24% interest. It's just absolutely predatory, taking advantage of these people. You know what I think Proverbs is saying? Proverbs is saying is the people who enter into the fields of the fatherless, they will deal with the Redeemer. He is mighty, and he will deal with them. And it gives me comfort that even though there are people that take advantage of the poor and oppress them, God will step in as their redeemer and handle them. I want you to realize our redeemer is mighty. He is mighty. And in the midst of these Proverbs, talking about being wise with our money and not entering into debts that we can't pay and putting up the things that we can't afford to lose to pay for the things that we can't afford to pay for and the things that we want and giving up the things that we need and all this. He says, and don't you enter into the fields of the fatherless because the Redeemer is mighty and he will deal with you. And, and there's, this, there's this tip of the hat. There's this allusion to the justice of the Lord in this passage. But you know what I also see here? I see, my Redeemer is mighty. Because you know what I did? I got myself into some debt that I could not get out of. I, I got myself in a place where I was sinking far from the peaceful shore, deeply stained within. There was a price that was owed for my sin that I could never pay. And evil stepped into the life of this spiritual orphan to try to take further advantage of me, and the Redeemer stepped in and dealt with evil. Our Redeemer is mighty. He's mighty. In the face of our foolish decisions and the circumstances of life, we often find ourselves alone and oppressed and indebted and overcome, but our Redeemer is mighty. And some of you, you've got debts that I can't begin to help you with. I, I don't even know quite how to wrap my mind around it right now, but I know a Redeemer who can pay off the biggest debt that any of us owe, our spiritual debt of sin. And there is no debt that is too big for this mighty Redeemer to pay back. Some of you might have seen, uh, it's been a couple years ago now, but a woman by the name of Andrea Rogers appeared before Judge Caprio in Providence. And it became famous because their exchange on the CC television cameras was edited and released to the public. And she is weeping as she explains the reason that she owes $400 in parking fines. After her son was murdered by her brother, Her son had debts that were then transferred to her. And the lenders garnished her social security checks to take care of this debt. 
So she goes down to the Social Security office to try to straighten this out so that her check is no longer garnished. While she's in there, she gets a parking ticket because it takes so long. She comes out, she finds she has a parking ticket. She's struggling to pay for the funeral for her son. Her check is now being garnished, so she gets evicted. She goes to court to fight the eviction. Court runs long. By the time she gets back out to her car, another parking ticket. Because of all of this that's happening, she goes to get free legal assistance while she is waiting for hours to get free legal assistance. The meter where her car is runs out. Another parking ticket. She goes to court for her first parking ticket. The meter is broken. She can't pay. She comes back out and she finds another parking ticket on her car. And she explains all of this to the judge. And she says, Judge, it's been a tough year. And the judge said, I'm going to take into consideration everything you've been through. And I'm going to balance the equities to protect the interests of the city and lower all of these fines to $50. How long will it take you to pay off a $50 fine? She said, Judge, I have $55 on me, so I will pay it now. He said, but that will only leave you with $5. She said, yes, sir, I'll only have $5 until my check comes on Friday. The judge looks at his notes. What's out a deep sigh? He says, I'm dismissing all of this. I'm not leaving you with $5. When we stood before the, the judge, we owed a lot more than 400 bucks. And we were more than $345 short. And the judges couldn't just dismiss it, couldn't just throw it out. There had to be a payment made. So he said, I will pay the fine. I'll make the payment. I will not leave you comfortless. Those are the words that Jesus said to his disciples in the Last Supper, I will not leave you comfortless. I'm not leaving you. I want to pay the price for you. And I'm sending the Spirit to encourage you and to lead you and direct you. Some of you right now, you feel absolutely trapped because of poor decisions that you've made and the circumstances that you find yourself in. I want you to know that the Lord does not leave you comfortless. That he was willing to pay the biggest debt you've ever owed for you so that it could be dismissed, so that it could be thrown out, so he can make all of it equitable for you. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.